Welcome to the College Connection Podcast, a podcast presented by the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador. This podcast is a series of regulatory-focused information and education sessions for RNs and MPs. This is the College Connection Podcast. Um, are always delighted when we're able to do these types of sessions. Um, uh, it's certainly, it's in our mandate to do public education on our office and the rights of young folks. Uh, but it's also a passion of ours as well, uh, in terms of uh, sharing information about what our office does, uh, about rights of uh, children and youth, and and certainly a, a huge passion in terms of connecting with other professionals, uh, like yourselves, uh, healthcare professionals, uh, who we're often, uh, throughout our careers, have been part of multidisciplinary teams with. So, uh, so thank you very much for reaching out and inviting us uh, to be part of your education today. Uh, we, during our time together, I think we've got about an hour. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about, uh, we're gonna talk about our office. Uh, we'll talk about what we do. We'll talk about our legislation. Um, we'll talk about, spend some time on rights. Uh, which is the whole underpinning of everything that we do every day. Uh, Karen will then uh, walk us through our lines of business in terms of uh, what our four main things that uh, that our office uh, prides itself on uh, in terms of our man legislative mandate. Um, and uh, we'll also share some resources and things like that. So in terms of who we are, uh, we are an independent statutory office of the House of Assembly of Newfoundland and Labrador. And I always say that's a, a huge mouthful to be starting a presentation with. Um, basically, what that means is that we are uh, arm's length from government and that we need to have that independent, uh, that independent nature uh, and separation from government, because essentially what we are is an oversight body, uh, sort of a watchdog over the services that government provides to children and youth here in the province. So we can't really do that role um, as our legislation mandates us to if we are part of a government department. So we've got that independence uh, from government. And folks may be familiar with some other independent statutory offices here uh, in the province. Uh, there's the Seniors Advocate, um, the Office of the Citizens Representative, which is similar to our office, but deals with adult uh, related issues. There's the Privacy Commissioner, the Electoral Office, uh, the Auditor General, and an Office of Legislative Standards. So there's a very small um, handful, we'll say, of independent uh, statutory offices here in the, uh, in the province. So for our office, though, we have the legislative authority to represent the rights, the interests, and the viewpoints uh, of children and youth who receive services and access programs that are provided by the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. On the screen there, you'll see uh, that's our office uh, at the bottom there, and we're located on Lamarchant Road in St. John's. So it's, uh, and we certainly do like the location. We're center city accessible on bus routes, uh, you know, for young folks and any other families who want to drop in. So we're easy to be found right across, uh, essentially across the road from St. Clair's Hospital. Uh, so in that vicinity. So, and although we're based in, in St. John's, we actually cover the entire province. Um, so much of the work that uh, Karen's team does in terms of individual advocacy, they actually do by phone and hear from uh, young folks and families and professionals all throughout uh, Newfoundland and Labrador who are having issues with uh, government services or feel that their rights are not being respected. So although we're here, like I said, we do cover the entire province. Also on the screen there, you'll see our uh, child and youth advocate. Uh, that's Linda clements Burrell, And Linda is also a social worker who uh, came into the role last October. So fairly new in the role. Uh, she came to the role after our previous advocate uh, retired. So just to give you a sense of uh, the lay of the land in terms of where we are and uh, who the current advocate is. So. In terms of who we are, so essentially what we do is that we help uh, youth speak up for themselves, we speak up with them, or we speak up for them. 
when we are contacted in terms of uh, an issue uh, on behalf of a young person, we'll often ask uh, in terms of, uh, and again, depending on the young person's age and cognitive abilities, uh, if they want to speak to us. And we certainly always encourage that in terms of their comfort level. Sometimes they do, and sometimes, of course, they're not comfortable with doing that. And they certainly have uh, grown-ups in their lives who can advocate on their behalf and reach out to us. So, um, And in those events, I mean, we'll certainly speak up for them. And what we do is that we basically listen to their views and feelings and, and help them have a say when decisions are being made about them. And we often hear that from young people that we're working with that, uh, you know, we'll hear comments like, well, no one asked me, I wasn't aware of that. Um, you know, I'd like to have a say in the, in this decision. Um, you know, so that's important to us that we ask for uh, the input of, of young people and that their voices are, are heard. And, and I guess just to uh, I guess, make a note before I go on to the mandate. I mean, I know in terms of folks that are probably on the call today, probably have a variety of uh, folks in different uh, in different fields and different areas, uh, similar to social work. I mean, we're we're everywhere as our nurses as well. I know that. And even if you're not directly working uh, with children and youth, um, no doubt, I think the information is helpful because uh, the majority of us certainly have young people in our lives. And, uh, and as healthcare professionals, I think it's uh, incumbent on all of us to be that conduit of information, uh, just to, you know, to be aware uh, that our office exists and, uh, and have that information about children's rights. So, uh, you know, so that's so important to us that we're able to pass that on. And then you in turn as well can pass it on to the to the young people or the families or maybe young folks in your lives in terms of uh, that when that information is needed. In terms of our mandate, and you'll see many bubbles here on the screen, um, and this comes to us from our uh, from our legislation, and essentially this is why our office was created, and and our office has been around just over 20 years. We celebrated our 20th anniversary last year. Um, so our mandate essentially is to ensure that children and youth, that their rights and their interests are protected. And not only that they're protected, but they're advanced as well. And that their views are heard and considered. Um, and again, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, that's something that we often hear from young people that their views and their voice is not heard. We also review and investigate matters uh, affecting the rights and interests of children and youth. And Karen will speak about that a little bit later as she talks about some of the reviews and investigations that, are, that our office uh, works on. We also act as an advocate of the rights and interests of children and youth, certainly our core piece of work that we do. We ensure that children and youth have access to government services and not only that they have access to the services that they need and require, but that if they have a complaint about some of those services, that those complaints uh, basically get proper redress and that they're addressed appropriately so that they can get the services that they require. And we also provide information and advice to government uh, and its agencies. And when we say the agencies, um, you know, we often refer to the regional health authorities, uh, you know, and uh, the school, the school boards and different things of like that. So beyond the government departments, it's also those other agencies as well. So we'll provide information and advice to those uh, entities about the availability, the effectiveness, the responsiveness, and the relevance of, of services to children and youth. And we do that in a number of different ways. Um, oftentimes, uh, government is seeking submissions uh, or input from, uh, from groups in terms of programs that they're working on. Um, we often, if it's an issue that relates to children and youth, um, we will often do a submission. And if, um, if you check our website, and we'll provide that at the end, you'll see that over the last number of years, we've certainly provided a lot of submissions uh, to government in terms of issues that we certainly think uh, are impacting children and youth here in the province. Karen and I 
also there uh, a few years ago, we actually presented to the health accord and we had an opportunity to meet with them on two occasions. And essentially, I mean, that was all about making sure that the voices uh, of children and youth were reflected uh, in the in the health accord. Um, and we also do that through other means in terms of our reviews and our, our investigations. We'll often make recommendations to government um, to basically improve services for not only the child that might have been affected, but for other children as well who are uh, in similar situations. So we do that through a whole host of different different ways. What we've also been seeing recently over the last number of years is that we sometimes see uh, departments and entities come to us when they're working on a program uh, that might, um, or a policy that might impact children and youth, and in a pretty proactive way, and seek our feedback at the time uh, so that we could provide input before um, before a program or policy uh, is developed. So we certainly appreciate that, and it's certainly a much more proactive uh, way to uh, to certainly do that work. So that's essentially, I mean, in terms of the, the our mandate. Our vision, uh, and it seems simple in terms of one line, and it's certainly something very, uh, very important. A province where uh, what we'd love to see is a province where every child's and youth's rights are protected and respected. We do have, and I mentioned at the beginning there in terms of our legislative mandate, we do have our own legislation, and that's the Child and Youth Advocate Act uh, 2001. And it certainly is some of the strongest legislation in the country. What we've, um, what we've seen actually over the last number of years when other provinces are, um, are opening up a, a, an advocate's office, we'll say, uh, they'll often come to us uh, and want to mirror the legislation that we have here in their own province or territory. Uh, that's what uh, happened with PI there a couple of years ago. They're probably one of the newest uh, provinces to come on stream. So very closely uh, mirroring our legislation. And the reason uh, we find that, I mean, it's certainly one of the strongest and most robust because it allows us to do a lot uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of our work. It allows us to do investigations, reviews, dispute resolution, uh, recommendations to government, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, and its agencies. And we can make those recommendations on legislation, policies, practices, a whole host of different things. Um, and, and also allows us to do the public education. So sessions like this today with, uh, with professionals, we do these with post-secondary students, um, you know, Karen and I are regular at uh, at MON in terms of the interprofessional education series. We do that every year. We've been doing that for about five years. Um, social work students, a whole host of different post-secondary uh, at, at some of the colleges as well. And in addition to the bulk of our work, uh, where we spend a lot of time in schools and summer programs, um, sharing information with young folks and, and basically teaching them about, about their rights. So as you can see, I mean, it does allow us, it is very robust and allows us to do a lot of, uh, a lot of things uh, in, uh, in our advocacy work. We always like to mention that a specific section of our legislation um, references our confidentiality. I mean, which is so paramount to all of us as professionals. So section 17, uh, sorry, section 13.1 there uh, specifically speaks to the confidentiality of information. And we hold that certainly sacred here in terms of the work that we uh, that we do. Our legislation was amended uh, back in 2017, and that change basically uh, allowed mandatory reporting of deaths and critical injuries by two specific departments within, uh, within government. And that was the Departments of Children, Seniors and Social Development and the Department of Justice and Public Safety. So what that meant was um, that any young person who was receiving services from either one of those departments, um, and if there was a death or a critical injury, 
that they now have to report that to us immediately. And what was happening before the legislation uh, was amended was that our office was actually finding out through the media of uh, young folks' deaths, uh, sadly, and that was how it would come to our attention would be through the media. So we, uh, the legislation was changed. Karen and I uh, spent much time with those two departments and came up with a process in terms of that reporting. And that's been working very well over the last number of years. Um, and when we say critical injury, what's the expect, what the expectation is from those departments in terms of that is that we define and the legislation defines a critical injury as a physical or psychological injury that will, would cause death or long-term impairment. Uh, in a physical or a psychological way. So we do have just two slides because we thought it would be interesting just to show you um, what that has looked like over the last number of years since this has started. So the graph just basically, the bar graph just shows some of the numbers of what that's looked like um, in since uh, its conception. And you'll see at the very beginning, uh, there were only two um, and because this mandatory reporting only became uh, came into effect in March of that year. So two reflects uh, the end of that fiscal year, but you can certainly see all of the numbers there in terms of uh, CSSD over the years. We had no, we've had no death reported by the Department of uh, Justice and Public Safety. And at the bottom there, you'll see that, so there's been 24 to date since this reporting process has started. 14 of that 24 have been medically related. Uh, five of the 24 have been accidental. So again, we just wanted to share that with you just in terms of what some of that, uh, what some of those stats look like. In terms of the critical injuries, uh, what we've seen, uh, again, the bulk are from children, seniors and social development. We've had two from justice and public safety um, over the past number of years. Again, I think, uh, especially for folks who are on uh, and working in uh, in the medical field and healthcare, we certainly thought you'd be interested in certainly seeing some of these stats. Um, so what we've seen in terms of trends, if you can see the um, from the 2020-21 year, which is the one that's represented by 51 on the bar graph there. So at that time when we received 51 reports of critical injuries, 69% of those were mental health related. And when we talk about mental health uh, related, we're talking about suicidal ideation, suicidal attempt, uh, those types of mental health uh, categories. What we've certainly seen over the last number of years, um, and no doubt very interesting for you folks to be aware of, is a very concerning trend of young people taking um, not prescription drugs, off the counter, basically Tylenol, Advil, those types of medications, which are so readily accessible in any store off the counter, very easy. So not, uh, so that's what we've been seeing, a high proportion of young people who are resorting to that type of uh, attempted overdose, we'll say, um, and certainly a very concerning trend in terms of uh, something that's so easily accessible uh, to any of us, right? Um, so that year, we certainly saw 69% of those mental health related, 23.5% were victims of violence. So it could be their peers, it could have been an adult, uh, but certainly a very concerning trend that almost a quarter of those were victims of violence. The following year, when you see the spike there in terms of 88, so we had an 88, uh, there were 88 reported in terms of critical injuries. Again, we saw the trends in terms of 44.3% were mental health related. And again, um, you know, again, some of the similar trends in terms of the uh, of the, the medication, they're easily, uh, easily uh, attainable. We also continue to see the trend in terms of the victims of violence, and you'll see there it's 38.6%. So it increased from the previous year, and we're still seeing those uh, those trends. The, uh, the 59 there that you see on the bar graph, uh, that's only based on uh, January up to January data. So that doesn't cover until the end of the fiscal year. 
Um, so even up to that point in January, you'll see that 61% uh, were still mental health related. And, and I'm sure no surprise to folks who are on this call uh, in, in the fields that you're in, because uh, we've certainly seen a surge in terms of uh, mental health issues. Uh, we were seeing that, and I'm sure you folks as well, even before the pandemic, and we know that the pandemic certainly exacerbated so many mental health issues for so many folks of all ages. Um, but we were seeing, certainly we were all seeing that in terms of young folks even before the pandemic. And interestingly, um, our advocates office is part of a, a national network our, um, of advocates offices. And back in the fall before the pandemic, uh, our, that group actually, the Canadian Council of Child and Youth Advocates released a report on mental health and suicide and calling on uh, the government of Canada to, uh, to do something in terms of the high rates of suicide. So we were seeing it then and we're certainly still seeing that now. Um, so 61% up until January, still mental health related. And we're still seeing that trend in terms of uh, reports about young people from uh, from those departments, uh, that being 37% uh, victims of violence. So in terms of who, uh, who we work with, who we serve, so it's children and youth under the age of 19. And that age group, that age range um, gets extended if a young person has been in care or custody. So if they've been, um, you know, if they've been in care in terms of uh, Children, Youth and uh, Families Act, or if they've been on remand, say, in terms of the criminal code or the Youth Criminal Justice Act. So if they've been in like a foster home or a group home or some type of alternate care in terms of children, seniors and social development, or if they've uh, been involved with um, with youth corrections in terms of the youth criminal justice system. They've been out at the Whitburn Youth Care uh, out there. Um, we extend that age to 21, and understandably so, because if folks, if young people have, uh, uh, you know, in those systems and dealing with those issues, understandably they may need uh, more uh, advocacy than uh, beyond the age of 19. So we do extend that to 21. So we just wanted to speak a little bit in terms of our rights-based approach. We, uh, all of the work that we do is all based on the rights of children and youth. And um, we work uh, under a specific set of rights and that's the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And we often refer that to as the UNCRC. Um, that's been around quite a long time. I mean, back in the late 80s, the United Nations basically decided that, uh, you know, that young people needed their own specific set of rights. Um, you know, there was um, a real, I guess, um, recognition that young people are not just mini adults and that they're growing, they're developing, and they need to be supported to do that uh, in the best manner possible. So what was what was created was this Convention on the Rights of the Child that specifically outlines every right uh, that you have as a young person uh, if you're under the age of 18. And Canada signed on uh, as a ratified partner to the United Nations. Um, and many countries in the world have also signed on to the UNCRC. And what that means is that when they ratify and sign on is that they're held accountable uh, so that every five years, uh, they as a country have to report on progress and what they've been doing uh, in terms of the rights of children and youth and in terms of what they're doing in terms of advancing uh, that here in the country. It certainly is uh, the broadest human rights convention in the world. And so when we get calls on a daily basis in terms of issues with uh, government programs and services, we're always looking at it from that rights-based lens in terms of, okay, what, what right is being, what right or rights maybe sometimes are being contravened um, in, in addition to the, the service that they're having trouble with. So it's, our work is grounded in that every day. And so when we go out uh, and do our sessions with, uh, with young folks, we always like to share this with everyone that we're doing. So when we talk about rights, we'll often ask them, what do you think rights are? And so we have a very simple definition. Uh, and we say that rights are basically what you should have 
or have access to or how you should be treated. And that certainly resonates with young people. They can certainly understand that. And I think also of any age can certainly under, understand that definition. Here on the screen, you'll just see we, these are some of the posters and resources that we have at the office. Um, and you'll see the, the one in yellow there uh, speaks, and that's uh, in child-friendly language. All of uh, our resources are in child-friendly language because that's really important uh, that they not be weighed down in legal language that none of us can understand. Um, and uh, so the United Nations produces, uh, and UNICEF produces a lot of these uh, great posters. Um, so we certainly have uh, some of these. The one on the right uh, with the pictures has actually been discontinued uh, from UNICEF, but we always have posters if you want to reach out and look for those. Um, and we always say to folks that, you know, what a great uh, message when children and youth are coming into your building, in your office, in your clinic, uh, in your hospital, wherever you're based um, and when folks, young folks come in and their families and they see those posters on the wall and it's like, wow, look, my rights are really important here. Um, so we always encourage folks to reach out and um, we're always happy to, uh, to send those out. The one in the middle there, it says, know your rights. We also, a couple of years ago, we created uh, little booklets. And again, user-friendly language that we send out to schools and other youth groups so that young folks have a small resource uh, that lists off all their rights. So I'd certainly encourage it any time to reach out for any of those. On the screen there, um, some other things that, uh, that we've created, we created rights cards. And a lot of the work that we do with young folks uh, in our sessions are, is very interactive and fun-based. I call it sort of sneaky education because, you know, you, you're having fun and you're learning something at the same time. So some of these cards we use in uh, some memory games or matching games, but it's just a sample in terms of um, what some of their rights are. And certainly not all, it's not an exhaustive list, but just a few there um, that talks about your right to be protected from harm of your body and mind. Uh, we help them understand that they have a right to be heard in things that affect them. They have a right to a good quality education and to be sort of supported to go to school. You'll also see there on the screen in the middle there, their right to health care, including nutritious food and a safe environment, um, their right to help if they've been hurt or neglected, um, their right to know their rights. Uh, and it's incumbent on us as adults to so that we know their rights so that we can share that information with them. And the final one there to the left on the bottom, like your right to special care, support and inclusion uh, if, if that's needed, if you have special needs. So we, these are all on our website. There's an exotic, there is a longer list uh, in keeping with the UNCRC on our website, but we always just like to share just a sample in terms of what some of those look like. And it's interesting when we do speak with young folks, a lot of times when we ask them what rights are and if they can come up, if they can tell us examples, oftentimes they do uh, on their own come up with they have a right to go to school or if they have a right to go to the hospital um, and but they're often surprised with some of their other rights uh, in terms of you know a right to uh, identity the right to their culture and language a right to be heard the right to you know uh, all of those they're often surprised in terms of the magnitude of the rights that they they certainly have. Just a quick slide here. Uh, we tell uh, everyone that we speak with that rights are so important that there's actually a national day to celebrate rights. And that day every year is November 20th. This past year was on a Sunday and we never wanna miss an opportunity with anyone. So please on November 20th, uh, remember to wear blue and reach out to us. We always create posters for that day as well. We'd love to see a sea of blue out there and for all professionals uh, to be recognizing the importance of National Child Day um, in terms of their rights and the importance of young folks in, in all of our lives. Just a final thing there in terms of a comment in terms of other uh, conventions uh, from the United Nations two other very important pieces of work that we often refer to in terms of uh, that 
in the advocacy work that we do is the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Um, and there's specific sections there that actually refer to children and youth. And of course, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, um, you know, two very important documents uh, that our staff here who do advocacy work um, certainly refer to um, often as well. So I just wanted to make you folks aware of those as well. All right, so now I'm gonna hand it off to Karen and she's gonna speak about all things advocacy. <laughs> Thanks, Wilma. So, you know, we, we've got some background now as to, you know, what our foundation is and, and some, of the, some of the things that guide our work here at the office, but what actually is our work? What, do, what is it that we do? Um, and like all good, uh, I guess, organizations, whether you're a line department or an agency of government uh, or you know, even a uh, community organization, you do have lines of business. And, and certainly we have our lines of business here at the Office of the Child and Youth Advocate. We have four, uh, individual advocacy, systemic advocacy, reviews and investigations and education and outreach. So in our individual advocacy, we will speak up for you or with you or help you to um, speak up for yourself so your voice is heard and your rights are respected. We use a fidget spinner, which we thought was pretty cool because it's all interrelated. And, and there's a, you know, I guess there's a, a, a child and youth in the middle, which is, you, you know, you're sort of you're revolving your fidget spinner around that particular that particular entity. In systemic advocacy, we look into issues that affect groups of children and youth, and we don't need to have a, a, a concern um, sent to us or, uh, or communicated to us. If it's something we see ourselves or we see trends, we can, we can certainly take a look at it from a systemic perspective. We have, under our legislation, we have reviews and investigations as part of our mandate, and we review and investigate concerns on behalf of individual or group of children and youth. And then we have our education and outreach, and we get out to um, schools, provide education sessions, just like we're doing today, workshops. Uh, we, we work with community groups, youth groups, and, and schools, and, and groups of children to help them, to help educate them about their rights. So with respect to individual advocacy, I guess that's, you know, that's our our bread and butter in some ways, because that's our frontline work. It's our first point of contact with uh, a child or a youth or a, or an adult who's bringing the issue to us, either through a call or email or in person. We will meet with them um, however they want to present to us. And we'll determine, we'll take all the information. We look for the story. What is the, what, what's the circumstances? We'll ask a lot of questions of that person. And we'll determine if it meets our legislative mandate if we say that it, if we determine that it does meet our legislative mandate, we'll develop an advocacy assistance plan. We'll connect with the service provider. We'll collaborate with the family or on behalf of the child or youth or, or with the child or youth directly. Um, we'll look at uh, the line departments or the agencies that are involved with that particular child or youth. And then depending on the outcome, whether or not, uh, you know, there has been a contravention in the rights of a child or young person, um, we'll move forward, we'll stay involved, or we'll close the file. So we'll do that through, you know, mediation, facilitation, we'll, we can go to case conferences, we can initiate meetings, we'll write letters of support on behalf of a child or young person, we'll definitely initiate contact with the service provider to resolve concerns, we have loads of those conversations. And then we'll review the services provided and the actions taken to determine if we need to stay involved. So just to give you some sense, um, in the in the fiscal year 2021, we responded to more than 500 requests for service and advocacy assistance and also responded to 150 shorter term requests for information, as well as assisting, um, you know, and, and navigating various systems of, of government and its agencies. As you might expect, Children aged 6 to 11 years continue to be the subject of most requests for advocacy assistance, just a little under, uh, just a little above 36% um, of our requests are revolving around that, that demographic, and that's been consistent year over year. Um, 12 to 17, it's about 31, almost 32%. And then as they get older, it's less, it's less percentage. So um, children 0 to 5 is about 20, 28, 29%. 
Um, in the year 2021, 2021-22, we responded to more than 350 requests for services and advocacy assistance and also responded to about 175 shorter term requests for information, as well as assistance with navigating various systems of, of government and its agencies. So we're, we're averaging between five and 600 uh, year over year. With systemic advocacy, as I said, it's, it, this is an issue that impacts a broader group of children and youth. We, we get engaged and involved in a systemic advocacy investigation or a review when we think we can be proactive um, it does not uh, require a complaint, but it does help us to identify gaps in legislation or policy and programs and services. And then we're able to provide recommendations back to government to sort of target those those difficulties, those gaps, um, or some, you know, maybe some uh, weaknesses in policy. And our hope is that it will influence public public policy. As, as Wilma said, we've made a submission to the Health Accord. Um, We've done systemic advocacy on um, um, federal government um, monies to children who have um, disabilities and who are have child support and how that interacts with um, how that interacts with the provincial system. We have provided information to government on the adoptions when the Adoptions Act was reviewed, as well as the uh, child protection. Um, legislation. We certainly provided our input to that. Um, and also we're providing uh, um, input to the UN process of reviewing Canada's report card when it comes to services and children through the Canadian Council for Child Youth Advocates. And as I said, some of our systemic advocacies included uh, concerns around foster care, group homes, child protection, youth justice, mental health and health services, education services, youth transitioning out of care, inclusion and diversity issues, children who are uh, experiencing issues because they're uh, transitioning um, and, and gender issues. There are, we have our hand in a, in a whole host of things. But I guess you know, what we're perhaps best known for, and we've developed a certain level of notoriety, I suppose, is for our investigations and our and our role uh, as investigators when it comes to looking at um, services provided to children that may have been in contravention of the uh, their rights under the UNCRC. And our investigations are carried out pursuant to Section 15.1, Subsection C of the Child and Youth Advocate Act, so we're legislatively bound to provide the, to uh, conduct these investigations. And as we've said before, we can review or investigate a matter whether or not we've had a direct complaint made directly made to us. Um, the child and youth advocate may conduct an investigation if advocacy, mediation, or another dispute resolution process has not resulted in a satisfactory outcome to the advocate. So our authority provides us with a lot of investigative processes and tools. Um, under our legislation, we can require a person with information to provide it, and we will we'll ask for it because we know, you know, likely that, uh, you know, a um, a service provider is a holder of that information. We can require the disclosure of those documents, and we have in the past. Um, required that from anybody we believe has the information that we that we require in order to be able to examine uh, the circumstances. The legislation also provides us with the ability to summon and examine on oath or affirmation the person who we believe can provide information to us, and any refusal, hindrance, or obstruction could, can result in a summary conviction. And that. Uh, that process of summoning somebody to uh, provide information to us is done through a subpoena and um, and and we carry out those uh, creating and and uh, identifying the person providing the subpoena and ex expecting that person to present to us on a on a particular date at a particular time. But we do have restrictions on jurisdiction. So um, there's things we can't investigate. We cannot investigate a court order or a decision of the court. Um, we can't investigate decisions of the House of Assembly or Executive Council or the Cabinet. 
those are all protected. Um, where there's a right of appeal uh, through a court or a tribunal, um, we can't we can't investigate until the appeal is heard or the time limit for that appeal has expired. We also can't review or investigate a matter that is currently or will be reviewed by the Child Death Review Committee under the fatalities legislation until that review is completed. Once that review is completed, then we can uh, we can then take a, a closer look at um, the death of the child. Or um, we're not able to uh, review or investigate a matter subject to a public inquiry until that inquiry is completed. Um, currently, you may be aware of the um, the inquiry into the child protection system where it relates to Inu children. While we are not uh, investigating that side by side with the inquiry, we do have we have applied for and we have been granted standing. So we're part of that public inquiry, but from a different perspective. It's not investigation, but it is, but it is fact-finding. Once the investigation is complete, then we sort of change gears and we go into a monitoring of the recommendations that we make when we release the investigative report. And so all the formal investigations will result in a written report and they will as well have specific recommendations unless we, we take a different view in terms of a systemic report and they're just sort of um, what we heard report. But with the investigative reports, they will, they will have specific recommendations and we monitor all of the recommendations until they're completed or, they're, or we're satisfied with the responses to us by the respective departments, and we report back on those recommendations uh, annually. So as you can see, you know, in the slide, we've got the status recommendations reports 2020, 2021, 2019, 2020, because I think we started that in 2017, 2018 fiscal year. So we're going to, that's the way we, I guess we hold um, government's feet to the fire or agencies of government's feet to the fire to say, we're, we're serious about these recommendations. We made them for a reason. We want to see change. We found that there was some deficits in, you know, the circumstances, the policy, the legislation, the practice regarding this child or young per person. And here's the way we believe that those, um, that can change, that system can change. So we will continue to monitor um, that recommendation, like I said, until we're satisfied that it's been completed or that it can't be completed, but there's a very good reason why it can't be why it can't be completed. All right. So I'm just going to just got a few uh, slides there. Um, so as Karen mentioned um, about the recommendation moderate, monitoring, and that's such an important process because we really want young people, families, community folks, professionals to see in a very open and transparent way uh, the status of recommendations that we've made. It's really important to us that, you know, reports that we put out, that they're not just on a shelf gathering dust um, because we go back every year and government uh, departments and agencies, um, they know that we come back every year and we ask uh, specifically give us updates on the recommendations that uh, that are still outstanding. And uh, so, and then we publish that as Karen identified in the previous slide there. Uh, and we make that public and they go on our website. So that's really important uh, to us. And um, it's, it's the slide here just as a graph, uh, just a little uh, circle here, just to show you what that's looked like over the last number of years. Um, we'll have this updated in the next little while. Uh, and at the time, 2020, 2021, uh, we found that we were satisfied that 78% of all the recommendations that we've made since we've opened were uh, implemented. Uh, and at that time, I mean, we had well over 200 recommendations uh, made to date. And um, so we were satisfied that 78% of those were implemented and 22% of those were partially implemented. So we've certainly been pleased with that. And in further iterations of this, uh, you'll see uh, that there certainly will be even more progress made by government departments and agencies.
Our just a final thought, a bit of information in terms of our public education and our outreach. Um, this piece of uh, work and also part of our legislative mandate, it's such an important piece and all of our staff thoroughly enjoy doing the education and outreach um, because we we find it's it's so essential that young people, their family members, professionals, the public even, that they know about child and youth rights because um, oftentimes we go out and we find that uh, when we talk to young people and, and adults as well, that not a lot of people are familiar with the uh, the expansive list um, and uh, of, of, of rights that belong to children and youth. So it's really important that that we are that we go out and we educate all ages so that everybody is aware. And we do those types of sessions um, uh, all the time. And it's all about enhancing understanding of rights and the role of our office so that we are here uh, if folks need to reach out to us. Certainly, uh, youth engagement is key. And for all the pieces of work that we work on, any of our resources, we uh, try to engage young people in, uh, in that feedback to create those products of work and resources here. Uh, a few years ago, we created, uh, we revamped a booklet uh, for young people who were in youth correction. So for youth uh, insecure and open custody. And during that process, some of our staff actually went and met with young folks who were at the uh, youth center in Whitburn. And uh, we engaged them on a couple of occasions in terms of what the content should be. And uh, they were really pleased to be part of that process. So that's really important to us because we feel that there's no sense to create resources for young people if they don't help us create them. So how are we going to attract young people to uh, to the resources if we don't or if they're not helped uh, if they don't help us create them? So that's really important. Also. Um, so we're always at that. Um, so we have all kinds of resources on our website here at the office. Uh, you heard me say the sneaky education earlier. I mean, we often have contests where we'll engage young folks to, um, you know, to draw pictures or do videos, all, um, all to create an awareness for them about their rights and about the role of our office here. Um, you know, so we do, we do that often, uh, all the time. And uh, so, you know, that's so important that they, uh, that they do that, that they participate and again, learn um, through that process about their rights. And uh, we have, an, and I always like to mention when we're doing this session that we, uh, you'll see on the screen here, in addition to contests that we do, we actually have an ongoing young artist program. So if anyone here works with young folks, you have young folks in your lives, um, we have a, the program is for anyone under the age of 21. We essentially, uh, what we do is that we invite young folks to send us their artwork, drawings, photos that they've taken, scenery, whatever, poetry, um, and any artwork that certainly resonates with them. They send it to us. We use it. Uh, if you check out our website, you'll see that we use artwork all the time. Not only will we post it on our website, on our social media, but we actually use it uh, in our resource materials, in our re annual reports, and uh, we'll send them a copy of that when we do use that. But as a thank you to every young person who sends us the artwork, we send them a, I call it a bag of swag. So we send them a bag of promotional items uh, like water bottles, flashlights, um, frisbees, all kinds of uh, squeezy balls, all these types of things, all of course that have our uh, contact information on them, but we send them that as a thank you. So it's a win-win. So we get to use local art uh, from young uh, children, youth here in the province and they get a thank you and an acknowledgement of the great work that they do. Um, so certainly that's on our website. We encourage you to, to share that information. And again, through doing that, they also learn about their rights and about our office. So, you know, and we also do other things in terms of our like newsletters and things like that as well. On this, uh, one of the last slides here, you'll see we have uh, just some of the resources uh, that you can certainly avail of, uh, reach out to our office, the rights posters, we have all kinds of pamphlets. You'll see that uh, youth in custody, uh, little booklet that I referenced, um, the inclusive and uh, the inclusion and diversity posters, uh, you probably have them in your place of work. If not, reach out to us. 
Um, you know, we created those uh, some years back and we love uh, when we have uh, requests for those. Uh, again, like the rights posters, we um, we always say to folks that, you know, what a great uh, message uh, that when anyone walks into your workplace um, to see those that, you know, that this is a positive space that welcomes and supports everyone. So so reach out to uh, to us for that as well. Um, and like I said, the rights booklets, all kinds of things. One uh, that we wanted to highlight there that you'll see on the furthest right there is called Yes, You Can. And that's a piece of work that Karen actually worked very closely on. Uh, so Karen, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that, just to just quickly, it's a resource that my we this office and the office of the the uh, office of the information privacy uh, office came up with because we felt that um, there was a lot of confusion around what entities could share in terms of information around mutual clients. So that's a a desk reference and a a little um, I guess resource that talks to specifically health professionals, law enforcement professionals, educators, social workers, legal professionals about what they can share with each other. And it is, um, it's grounded in the uh, legislation that allows you to share information and what you can share. Uh, because a lot of people thought that they couldn't share it and that the legislation supported not sharing it. But what we found that the legislation actually provides you with opportunities and, uh, you know, the jurisdiction to um, provide information between entities where you have mutual clients. So I'd invite you to take a look at uh, our website and and uh, print that off. And it's um, it, it's extremely valuable in, in, in terms of uh, people's working with children and young people and being able to... Uh, speak to one another without feeling like you're breaching confidentiality or privacy. All right. So there's our final slide. That's our address there. We'll you find us our phone number. We'll toll free there as well. Um, our email, email us anytime. If you wanted to have any posters, give us a call either as well. Any resources. We are on Twitter there in terms of social media. And you'll see our website there, childandyouthadvocate.nl.ca. This has been a presentation of the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador.